Thank you. Appreciate all the time and hard work the choir puts in learning music and singing these songs and all. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with us to Titus, the book of Titus. And uh, if you don't mind turning these monitors off. Makes me sound like I'm in a barrel. Titus chapter number one. And uh, we've been studying through the book of Titus on Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights, some. We took a little break from it. And uh, sometimes you come to uh, scriptures in the Bible, when, especially when you're doing a, a study uh, where you're it's not a topical thing, but you're going through a book or a portion of Scripture and you come to things and sometimes you just wish you could skip over them. You kind of want to avoid them or not preach about them. I had a professor in college one time. There's some verses in the Old Testament that he wouldn't read. There's some words he wouldn't read. He'd get to a certain place and he didn't like the wording, so he'd just skip over it. He wouldn't say it, you know. Sometimes you have a Freudian slip. You you say something you didn't really mean to say and wish you hadn't have said it. He he wouldn't read the passages. He he taught Old Testament survey, and and he wouldn't read a lot there in that story about Balaam, because in the King James. In that story of Balaam, he calls the donkey an ass. That's what the Bible says. You know, and so he'd get to those scriptures and he'd just kind of skip over that word. He wouldn't read it. And he got to teaching one day and he got so excited and so caught up in his teaching and he was teaching, you know, about that passage and teaching through what was going on there. And he got all excited, and he said, and Balaam whipped that ass all over the place. <laughs> Lost the whole class. You just dismiss and go home after that. He always tried to avoid, you know, saying those things, and then lo and behold, there he said it. Well, but there's, there are some times when the Bible can deal with us a difficult subject, uh, and today is one of those times as we got to a place here in, in Titus. And uh, I want you to, to follow along here with me. Titus chapter number 1. I'll tell you what, let's do this. Hold your place there in Titus and turn back a few pages to the book of Acts. I think it might help us if we just start here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 20. Turn there, Acts chapter number 20. If, if you're making notes and you like to, to study things, you know, away from church, you like to take the sermon, go back home, go over things, uh, look deeper into it, you would want to study in Acts chapter 20, uh, the whole chapter would be fine, but from verse 24 uh, through the end of the chapter, Verse 24 to 38. But for sake of time this morning, I'm just going to pull these three verses out uh, of this passage here uh, in the Apostle Paul's life. I want you to notice with me three verses. Verse number 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now let me preface this by saying, Paul is talking to the leaders and the elders from the church at Ephesus. He was journeying. He had made several different journeys, stopped at several different islands and places. And he, he knew that he was not going to be able to get to Ephesus. So he sent and he had the leaders of the church at Ephesus brought to him. So he's, he's having a sit-down audience with the leadership at the church at Ephesus. That's why 
uh, he's talking about the overseers of the flock. All right, and he says that they're to feed the flock. God hath made them overseers. Feed the church of God. And it says, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as, a, as a preacher, a minister uh, for lots of years, we understand, Brother Hornsby could tell you the same thing, we understand why people say, well, I go to Brother Roy's church, or I go to Brother Don's church, or I go to Brother so-and-so. We understand people associate it, you know, with the leader, with the pastor. But we'll be the first ones to tell you, it's not our church. I didn't die for it. I didn't shed my blood for it. The Bible's clear. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He hath purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, For I know this, that after many depart... I know, for the, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31, he says, therefore watch. And he talks about remembering and what he's taught them over the past three years and his prayers and his love and concern for them. Tells them to remember some things. But what is he saying here? He, he's telling these men, he said, look, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem, then after that I'll be going uh, to Rome and I'll be standing before, uh, you know, uh, the throne there and it's likely I'll never make it back out of prison again. I'm departing. He said, but when I depart, he said, there's going to be these grievous wolves that come in. They, they know I'm not going to put up with them. But they think they can hoodoo you, and they're going to come in and, and do these things. And he's warning them about that. He said, they'll, they'll not spare the flock. It means they have no interest but self-interest. They're only interested in what they want. And then in verse 30, he drives it even a little bit deeper the hurt and the pain and the thought of it. But he says, they'll come out of your own congregation. They'll be your own people that do these things. That's hard for us to believe, isn't it? It's hard for us to want to accept, isn't it? But it's God's Word. It's the hard part of God's Word, but it's God's Word. And then Titus, you know, uh, in Titus, we've been talking about this for several weeks, uh, that that Paul has left Titus there uh, to, to the, the church, the people on the island of Crete. Um, and in verse 5 he says, For this cause, this is why I left you there. He's writing it to Titus, he says in verse 4. And he said, I left you there, verse 5, follow along. I left thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly, that would disqualify most pastors and most leaders because most of them can't rule their home life. They can't keep their own house in order. And God said, if you can't keep your house in order, how can you keep my house in order? Y'all could say Amen. It's hard truth, but it's truth. For a bishop must be blameless. That covers a lot, doesn't it? Blameless. That means they can't nobody accuse him. There's no, that means you don't have skeletons in your closet. Bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. This one I have to pray about a lot. Not soon angry not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, 
teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. The word reprobate is a strong word. Find it in Romans chapter 1. The Bible says that God turned a certain group of people over to a reprobate mind. That means you're out of your mind and you have no ability to get back in your right mind. It means God's done with you. We don't, we don't like that. We, we like grace. And I'm for grace. And God extends grace more than once. And he extends mercy more than once. But I'm telling you, you go back to the book of Genesis, the Bible says the Spirit of God will not always strive with a man. God will only give you so many chances. God will only go so far with you. And then he says, I'm done. If you don't believe me, go read chapter 6 and 7 in the book of Genesis. Do you, do you realize and our God is a loving and a gracious God? He is. But do you realize that loving, gracious God killed the whole population of the entire earth except for eight people? You have to balance Scripture. You can't be one-sided in Scripture. God loves us, but He expects us to do what He tells us to do. If you, children, when you, when you raise children the Bible way, God expects children to be disciplined. We don't discipline them because we don't like them. We discipline them because we love them. Don't play in the street. Why? Cars run over you. Don't play in the street. Well, you know, it's exciting. It's fun. It's dark and bright lights. Don't play in the street. Cars will run over you. I mean, are you ever going to get to the point where you just let them play in the street? Why? Because you love them. And after you tell them two or three times and they don't do it, what are you going to do? You get their attention. You, you get their attention. Put me in time out would have never gotten my attention. I, I mean, it wouldn't. I'd be like that little kid, you know, his mama made him sit in the corner and he looked at her and old scowl on his face, and she said, what are you looking so ugly about? He said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> I could just hear somebody tell that to Miss Martha. <laughs> we have to discipline children, don't we? God sometimes has to discipline his children because we get out of line and we don't listen. Here's a hard place in Scripture where Paul's writing to Titus, and he said, Titus, this is going to be tough, but you've got to deal with some things at the house of God. Here, here's something I, I thought of while we were doing the offering. Just, just came to my mind, you know, up on the screen, had the thing about offering and tithes and that little thing going up under the bottom there, looked like a boat rocking back and forth. You know, reminding us that we worship the Lord through giving. You know, there's a lot of churches today that don't take offerings. They, they took the offering out of church. Well, you know, we don't pressure people. We got a little box outside, and if they want to give, they'll give. If they don't, that's okay. That's between them and the Lord. Well, how a person lives is between them and the Lord. I'm not going to get in your business and tell you what you should do and shouldn't do. And I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't do it the way I think the Bible says do it. I'm still going to love you, pray for you. But we still have to declare the truth. 
We have to at least be honest enough to give people what the Bible says and then let them and God deal with it. And here's the thing, and I'm not preaching for money, okay? We're not going to take another offering at the end of the service. But, but the Lord used that to, in my mind this morning because it's a perfect illustration of what I'm going to preach about today, that, that we've minimized something that God puts a high priority on. God is the one that commanded us to, to give. It, it was established before the law was ever even established, there was giving. Abraham gave the tithe, the tenth, to God before Moses and the law ever came along. And in the New Testament, Paul wrote to the Corinthians about giving. He, he, didn't, ha he didn't make it anything about the law. He, he said, give not begrudgingly or of necessity. God loves what? A cheerful giver. But God set the principle that we're to come together as God's people and worship God. And when we do that, we're to bring that offering. And I'm so old-fashioned, I don't like people that just write a check once a month. Because that's all they get paid is once a month. Well, divide it up into fours and give it every week. Because he said when you come in to the, to the storehouse to do what? To bring your tithes and offerings. When you come, bring them. Now, I, that's just, I'm just kidding about that. You, you get paid once a month, give once a month. But God has established that principle, and we live in a generation that, that we think, well, you know, that might be unpopular. It might offend somebody. It might, might not make them want to come to church because all they're going to think is we just want their money. Well, we don't want your money. God don't need your money, but he made a principle in Scripture for us to give. Because it's all his anyway. You didn't earn it. You think you worked 40 hours this week and you earned your paycheck. But I'm telling you, you didn't earn it. God gave it to you. Because it's your breath. I mean, it's his breath you're breathing. It's his body that he made that he gave you that you're using. It's his dirt you're walking around. You understand? Everything is his. Even the money that you make that you think you earned, you didn't earn it. He allows you to be a steward of it. See, if we understand some basic principles, it'll really help the way we live our life. God established the principle of giving. Who's man to think that we ought to minimize it or, 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 or get away from teaching or preaching about it because it, somebody might not come to church. They come to church to learn the truth. And that's the whole premise of things today. Truth is all that matters. See, church is not a denomination. Church is not the organized religion that we've turned it into and made it today. Here's just a loose definition, if you will, of church. You won't find this in a theology book anywhere. But, but church is a local assembly of baptized believers that meet together in unity and learn and further the truth of God's word. That's just the basic definition of what a church is. The church is the body of Christ, but we can't all get together at one time in one place. We will one day because he's making the place big enough. And then he's going to come get us and we'll go there and we'll worship there. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Come to the Revelation class if you want to hear about that. But, but a group of local baptized believers that meet together in unity to learn and further the truth of God's word. Do you know what? Sometimes they get sideways. Sometimes they get deceived. And that's what's taking place here in Crete. And that's why uh, Paul wrote this letter to Titus to get it straightened out. He said, Titus, get things back in order at church. And there's two ways he gave him here to do that. Number one is you get the right kind of people in leadership. And we, we went through some, some characteristics of, of leaders and, and what leadership is and what it means and responsibilities and uh, things that, that God's mastered in their life and they master their, in their life and things that they work on. And then here's these qualifications that God gives uh, for, for leadership in church in verses 5 through 9. So number one, Titus, you've you got to get the right kind of people in the role of leadership. 
in the church. Number two is the hard part. Number two, he says, you got to silence the wolves. Or if you, you really want to get graphic about it, he says, you got to cut out the cancer. We can understand that in our day. Nobody likes the word cancer. It eats us from the inside out. It's like sin. It's what sin does to us. And, and, and what's going on here is wicked and it's sinful. And Paul writes uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit this letter to Titus. And he says, Titus, you've got to put them wolves out. You've got to silence them. In verse 10 he says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. Now, I didn't make this up. I, I, I'm, I, I have avoided to preach this for two or three weeks now. I've argued with God. But he said, no. That's it. The Bible says in verse 10, there are many. So here's, here's the message this morning. You have to recognize them by their deeds. Verse number 16 says this, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Now what does that mean? In works they deny Him. We can say a lot, and sometimes we can even, we can even walk in such a way that it looks like our walk is matching our talk. But there comes a point, as old Vernon McGee used to say, that you get to where the rubber meets the road. And, and our works are not just the things that we do uh, for show, but our works are our attitudes and what's deep inside of our heart. And eventually, God brings that out. He, he reveals those things. And here's how it's revealed. In verse 10, he says this. He said they're unruly. It means they're rebels towards authority. They rebel against God. They rebel against his word. They defy correction. They disdain discipline. They're disorderly. They're disorderly. That's what unruly means, disorderly. Second thing he says there, he says they're vain talkers. That means they're disputers. They tell people things that will alarm them or create strife. They tell people what they want to hear. You ever heard that old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, what? It is. Well, there's people that they just tell you what you want to hear. It's not true. It's not right. It's not going to help you if they tell you what you want to hear. Old-fashioned preachers used to call them ear ticklers. Casper milk toast preachers mean they didn't have, they, they was just sissies. They wouldn't stand for truth and righteousness. Then uh, telling people things that scare them, make them afraid, or, or that create strife and, and you know, uh, disorder in the church. So, they're disorderly, they're unruly, they're disputers, which means they're vain talkers, they, they just speak vanity, uh, they don't speak the truth. Uh, and that's reiterated in the next thing there uh, in verse 10, he said, and deceivers, deceivers. If you turned back a couple pages in your Bible there to the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy uh, in chapter number 4, you'd find these words. He said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to, listen, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. No sensitivity, no feeling. Same thing as reprobate. You get to the point where God's just left you alone. You say, well, that's not so bad. Well, you remember Samson in the Bible? And over and over, Delilah tried to get Samson, you know, to reveal his secret. 
what's wrong, Samson? Or, or what's, you know, the source of your strength? And he, he never would tell her. And finally she convinced him. Every time he'd wake up and the army would be on him and, and he'd, you know, sling them off and he'd be free again. But finally she convinced him. He gave in and he told her. He woke up and he thought he'd just do the same thing and sling everybody off. If you go back over there and you read the account of that, you'll find the Bible says this. The Bible says, And he wist not. That means he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Samson woke up and thought he was as strong as he had always been. He'd do what he has always done. And he didn't even know God had left him. And God had left. That's the way these people were when he wrote to Timothy. And same thing as he's writing to Titus. He says, Titus, you've got to watch out for these deceivers, these spin doctors. They're hypocrites. They're liars. They're liars. They give you a lot of frill and fancies. You know what? If you're making notes, write down these scriptures and you go back and read them. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse number 17. The Bible will tell you there how God feels about liars and false prophets. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 5. Jeremiah, two whole chapters, chapter 14 and chapter 23. God hates liars and he hates false prophets. Matter of fact, he said all liars will what? Have their place in hell. Liars don't get to go to heaven. Well, preacher, they're saved. They may be saved, but if they keep lying, baby, they're going to shorten their life up. God said in Corinthians to what? Turn them over Satan for the destruction of the flesh and saving of the soul. God's not going to let you tell lies on him and, and his people and the church and, and keep sowing discord and, and disputes and, and keep doing all this stuff. God's not going to let you keep doing that long He'll take you out back and won't give you a spanking behind the woodshed. The Bible's clear. He said he'll just take you on home. Speaking out against God and the things of God and the people of God and the men of God is dangerous ground. David said, how could I ever raise my hand or touch against the Lord's anointed? He just kept running from Saul. Because he was God's anointed king until the time David was to take over. David wasn't going to kill him. He could have a number of times. You don't mess with God and the things of God when it comes to lies and deception and false prophecy and all that. God will take care of that. And then the, the, the last thing here about recognizing them by their deeds, in verse 10, the Bible says, especially... They are the circumcision. We've been using these. They're, they're unruly. That's disorderly. They're vain talkers. That means they're disputers. They're deceivers. They, they tell lies and spin the truth. And they're descendants. The Bible says they have the circumcision. They're insiders. They're part of the family. Isn't that what Paul told those elders from the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 we read he said the bad thing about it is guys is some of them are coming from inside they're, they're a part of you it happens Paul's writing he said you got to straighten this out you got to take care of it they're brought up in the faith but they're not contending for the faith how does that happen how, how do people get that way Self becomes more important than the Lord does. What I want, what I think, what my opinion is, what my take on this is, what my take... I've told you over and over while I've been here preaching, my opinion doesn't matter. All that matters is thus saith the Lord. I, 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 don't, I try my best with the help of the Lord not to give my opinion the Scripture. Just here's what it says. And let God and the Holy Spirit do the rest. So the first thing is you got to get the right kind of people in leadership. The second thing is, is you got to silence the wolves. Well, how can we do that? First, you got to recognize them. They're unruly. They're vain talkers. They're deceivers. They're descendants. Some of them 
even among you. Here's verse 11, the next thing. Not only do you recognize them by their deeds, but you rebuke them or remove them. Verse 11, he said, whose mouths must be stopped. That word stopped in the, in the original language means muzzled or plugged. I think that's pretty self-descriptive, isn't it? If you got a bad dog and you want to keep him, what do you have to do? You got to put a muzzle on him. It's the only way it works. That's what Paul said. They got to be stopped. I, I said when I started, this was a hard message. Said it wasn't one I wanted to preach, but it's one God said to preach. And, and there's things that are going on in the church that have to be stopped. I, I don't know where they're coming from. I don't even know if who needs to hear this is here today or not here today. I don't account to people. I just account to God. And God said this has got to stop. This won't win you a popular vote. won't win you a lot of friends. But it's the truth. And when it comes to the things of God... There's only one way to do them, and that's the Bible way, and that's the only right way that there is. We, we heard a lot in this last election, you know, drain the swamp and all this stuff, and that's all great and wonderful till it's our swamp that's got to be drained. And all Republicans say all this until it might hit them a little bit, might cost them something. And then they don't like it. Well, we don't get to change. If you stand on the truth, you stand on the Word of God, you won't ever have to change. People say, well, we ought to have the freedom to speak. Well, freedom of speech is limited to truth. We don't get to get up and tell lies. We don't get to get up and give opinions. We don't get to get up and, and just say what we think. All that matters is truth. So the freedom to speak is limited to the truth of what God's Word says. Do you... I can't even go there. We'll have to wait till the 4th of July or something. I, you know, the problems in this country could be all... They could all be fixed very easily. If our country would realize that it's built and based on the principles that God lays out in His Word. And that simple thing of... The, the freedom of speech. We have the freedom of speech in the Constitution. Well, with any freedom comes this thing called responsibility. They need to take the word rights out of the dictionary because that's of the devil. You know, as a Christian, you don't have rights. You have a responsibility to live for the Lord. Romans 12, 1, God said, I think it's just reasonable that you live for me. He said, therefore, that means everything from chapter 1 to chapter 11. Therefore, because of all of what I've done for you that I just laid out in the past 11 chapters, I just think it's reasonable that you live for me. That's a responsibility. It's not a right. And if it was, it would be God-given and it could be revoked at any point in time. Well, that's the same principle this country was built on. We don't have rights. We have responsibilities to the liberty and the freedom that we have. We have responsibilities. I picked up a book the other day, just read a few lines about the Battle of the Bulge in France. We have a responsibility to those young men that gave their life, shed their blood for the freedoms that we have today. And we trash them like they was a dirty doormat at the front door. Freedom costs something. We have a responsibility to truth. We have a responsibility to the Word of God because He said, the church of God, which is the house of God, is the pillar and ground of the truth. If people can't walk through those doors and sit in these pews 
and understand the truth of God's word, we might as well just stop doing what we're doing. And if we got to argue about what truth is or what's right or what's wrong, we might as well just stop what we're doing because that means somebody's not believing and listening to what this book says because that's the only thing that's true. The freedom of speech is limited to truth. What he's basically saying is all the propaganda that Satan promotes has to be stopped. How do you stop it? Well, number one, it's got to stop at home. It's got to stop at home. You've heard the old adage about a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. I don't care if you got one of them chains that picks up logs and steel beams. It's only as strong as the weakest link in the chain. And the church... It doesn't matter who's standing up here behind the pulpit. It doesn't matter who the leader is in the church or who the leadership of the church is. The church is only going to be as strong as its weakest families. And when you, when, you, when you got people that go away from church, and again, it doesn't matter who's standing up here behind the pulpit, and you got people that go home from church, and all they ever have for lunch is roast preacher on Sunday, you're never going to have the kind of church you ought to have. It's not going to happen. It's got to start at home. If we don't get things in the home right, if husbands and wives don't love each other, if they don't live the scriptures in front of their children, you know what? You can quit telling your children anything. If you just live it in front of them, they'll pick up on it and they'll do the same thing you do. It's the amazing thing about boys. If you if you got a little boy, time he gets old enough to walk, and you go out the house and, and he's going to go out with you, you know what? If you grab your ball cap and you put it on your head when you go out the door, you know what the first thing he's going to do is when he's old enough to walk out the door with you? Mama. Could I get me one of them caps like Daddy's got so I'll have one when I go with him? You know what will happen if he, he gets old enough to read and he sees you every day when he comes to breakfast, you done been at the breakfast table for 20, 30 minutes with your Bible open and your little notebook and you've been reading and studying God's Word and making some notes. You know, when he gets old enough to read, he's going to tell Mom, Mama, can I get me one of them Bibles like Daddy and the pencil and the pad so I can read my Bible too? They'll do what you do. They're not going to listen much to what you say, but they'll do what you do, whether it's good or bad. They're going to follow you. So we got to get home straight first. And when we get home straight, then we can work on the church. But it not only has to stop at home, it's got to stop at church. You can't be coming to church and... Ha ha you know, we preachers sometimes say it in jest, but it's a serious truth and it's a serious problem in church. You got people sit on one side, they ain't talked to them people sit on that side in 10 years. Because 10 years ago, they didn't eat their congealed salad at the fellowship. Now they're mad at them. Oh, it's funny and we laugh, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It is the truth. And it's not a modern day thing. Twenty some years ago, there was a church in in North Carolina where, where we were at serving the Lord. There was a, a good church in a town in western North Carolina. I'm talking about this is like the heart of the heart of the Bible Belt. I mean, Asheville, North Carolina, and the surrounding area. That's like right next to the Holy of Holies when it comes to serving the Lord in Christianity. Over 70, do you know that if you went to Greenville, South Carolina and, and drew a circle, a, a radius from Greenville, South Carolina, went out 250 miles from Greenville, South Carolina, 90% of all missionaries, preachers, and singers come from within that circle. We don't realize the heritage we have in the South. Asheville's inside of that. So I'm talking about good 
godly people. In a good godly church. The church split right down the middle. Over something. I'm, I'm talking about serious. Like you know the virgin birth. And the blood atonement. They got mad and split the church. Because there was an older man in the church. That had been cutting the grass for years. And a younger man got saved. On the landscaping business. Said, preacher, my business, we want to cut the churchyard, put new plants, landscape. I mean, we just want to do the whole thing. We're going to do it all for free, not going to charge the church a dime. I just want to do it for the Lord. Well, that old man got mad because this young man started mowing the grass. And you know what? That little root of bitterness grew and grew and grew. And it split that church right down the middle. Over grass. Who gives a rip who's going to mow the grass? Just be thankful somebody's cutting it and it's not knee deep. Do you understand people are dying and going to hell by the millions every day? Do you realize how many babies we abort in this country every day? You realize how many people are hooked on prescription medication and illicit dope and drugs and pornography and all the other things that they're addicted to and a lot of them are in churches? We're in a mess in this world. And more than any time in history, we need God's people to band together, to pray together, to love one another, to stand up for what's right and quit fighting each other. The world's dying and going to hell all around us and we just act like it's no big deal because I'm mad at so-and-so because they didn't do it the way I liked it. Well, it don't matter. There ain't no rule book anywhere that says do it the way you do it. There's some churches I go to I don't like the way they worship. But you know what? I've not found in here one place where it says, Thou shalt not have a set of drummers in the church. Thou shalt not have a piano in the church. Thou shalt not sling a tambourine in the church. I've not found it anywhere in here. So let's quit fussing and arguing about stuff that don't matter. And disciple people and teach people God's word and teach people how to love one another and teach them how to go out into the highways and the hedges. Why? Because the fields are white unto harvest. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? You didn't told nobody about Jesus because you're too busy arguing about so-and-so over on the other side of the church. I know it's tough, but it's true. We have to stop Satan's propaganda in the church. It has to stop at home. It has to stop in the church. And if we get it stopped at home, and we get it stopped in the church, you know where we can stop it at next? We can stop it in public. We can stop it out in public. If enough people decide they you know, want to do business at certain places or not do business at certain places or not do this or not. You know, if we band together and we speak loud enough, you know what, we can change public opinion. You know, it just takes one person to do what God's called them to do to make a difference. Just one. My wife and I were talking on the way to church this morning about fast food establishments. You know, one man has changed fast food forever. Not an industry. One man has changed it. One man. Mr. Kathy. Truett Kathy. One man. Up until the time he died a few years ago, 80-something years old, he still taught junior boys Sunday school class. He taught the junior boys. That's the worst group of kids there is to teach. I was one one day. That's, that's why Jerome had to move to Indiana. I've been getting to know him through this thing with his mama. And if me and him would have been in the junior boys the same in Alabama, we'd have rent this state. So he had to move to Indiana for a little while. 
we laugh about things and we, we, we think about things, but we don't really take them serious. But if you'll think for a minute about what I said, you'll understand what I'm talking about. One man changed the fast food industry forever. He, that company makes more money in six days than all the rest of them put together make in seven days. You go through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru line, there'll be two cars half a mile deep, and you won't sit there more than five minutes. You go to Hardee's, and there won't be no cars in the line, and you'll sit there 15 minutes. You go to McDonald's, and you'll sit there 15 minutes with two or three other cars and get the wrong thing in your bag. Why can't other people figure that out? Why can't they see that? Why can't they understand? Why, is, why does it work? Because of Truett Cathy? No. It doesn't work because of Mr. Cathy. It works because he built his business based on the principles you find in that book. That's why it works. And if we, if we build our life on the principles based out of that book, we can change the world we live in. It starts as an individual. It spreads to the home. It spreads from the home to the church, and it spreads from the church to the public life. But it all has to start inside of a person. One man revolutionized the, 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 uh, not just the fast food world, but the world of industry, mechanized industry. Anybody remember the name Henry Ford? He created this thing called an assembly line. If you've ever worked in a plant or a factory, you only have a job because Henry Ford invented the assembly line. You see, one man, one person can make a difference. But we've got to do it God's way. In verse 12, he says this. He says, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. You have to expose the lies. You have to expose the lucre. You have to expose the lewdness. We don't have time to talk about all those this morning. That's what it boils down to. They tell lies because they want money. And then the lewdness part of it, they'll do anything to get the money. That's basically what it is. That's what you find out about these type of people. The unruly, the vain talkers, the deceivers, those that come uh, from, from inside your own ranks that act this way and do all these things. Why do they have to be stopped? This is the motivation behind them. The lies, <clears throat> all the stuff, it, it, it's for their own profit, for their own benefit, and they'll do anything to get it. He says, this witness is true in verse 13. He said, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. All I can do is share with you this morning what God's word says. Amen. That's being a good steward of verse 13. I love all of you. I wouldn't be here. I want to see your church grow. I want to see it have the pasture that God wants it to have and be a lighthouse on this hill that reaches two communities. Amen. And it can be that way. And as much as I didn't want to do it, I had to be true to what God told me. I've, I've tried my best not to be mean, but to rebuke. And that's up to you to be sound in the faith. If God spoke to your heart, you can repent. You just own up to it. God, that's me. I'm guilty. And you don't have to tell me. I don't want to know. I'm not, I can't convict. That's God's job. I just deliver it. If he spoke to you, you do business with him. You do it at your pew. You come to this altar. Here's the thing, after you do business with God, when, when you 
tell God that, that you know that he's speaking to your heart and you realize where you are and you make things right with God, then you need to go make them right with whoever you've wronged. If it's a person, if it's a group, if it's the whole church, then you need to make it right. Doesn't matter if it's this morning, tonight, week, it doesn't matter, but you need to make it right. Why? So you can be sound in the faith. Galatians said the stronger, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, said when we find a brother in a fault, we're what? We're to restore. We're not to shoot our wounded. We're not to kill those that make mistakes. We're to help them and nurse them back to hell. When they get right with God, they make it right with God, then we as a body of believers, a family of faith, we forgive. It's Our flesh makes it difficult. But I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, if you'll do what God's Word says, it'll bring a joy and a peace in your life that you ain't experienced in a long time. And things will change. Things will be different. You know what? It'll be fun to go to church. It'll be fun to go to work and share Jesus with people. You won't go home grumbling. You won't go home angry. But it'll be fun again. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this is your time. As she plays, you just respond to the Lord. If you want to pray, I'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you're lost. God spoke to your heart. I've not preached about salvation. Not preached about the good news. That's what we're here for. If God's spoken to your heart and somehow he's testified through this scripture today that you need to know him, I'll be glad to pray with you and take God's word, show you how you can know you could have heaven as your home one day. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Again, we'll give you just a moment. If you'd like to come, I can tell you this. calls a strange thing sometimes it's not about numbers it's not about the preacher it's not about being seen or not being seen here's a principle you'll find all through scripture God never sends fire God never sends blessing to an empty altar he requires a sacrifice where on an altar. Well, you can make your pew an altar. But there's just something that God will do for you when you're willing to be public with Him. You realize that Jesus died naked in front of the whole world in the public square? It wasn't in a back room hidden somewhere. It was for the whole world to see. So we'll give you just a few more minutes. God speaks to your heart and you come. If not, we'll close. thankful for your word this morning Lord sometimes it's hard God it reaches into places that we wish it wouldn't go to sometimes says things and reveals things that we wish it wouldn't reveal sometimes God that's the only way we can get closer to you is by finding out where our problems are and where our trouble comes from where our fellowship has been broken from. 
God, I pray this morning that you'll just take your word. Don't let it be a searchlight into our hearts and into our lives. God, if we've offended you by how we do things, Lord, would you just speak to our hearts? As the psalmist said, search me and try me. God, know my heart. God, know the hearts of your people. Lord, whatever it takes for you to write the things in this church that are going on that need to be addressed. God, it's a hard prayer, but God, whatever it takes, I pray you'll do it. Lord, you'll, you'll stop the bleeding before it's too late. God, help us to be loving. Help us to be kind. Help us to be forgiving of one another. Lord, to always put you first in what we do. Let it be shown in our attitudes and in our actions. And God, at the end of the day, we'll give you praise. We'll give you thanks for what you accomplish in our lives each day. We love you. We're thankful for Jesus Christ made it all possible by dying at Calvary, raising his body the third day. It's in his precious and holy name we ask your blessing on these things in this service. Amen. You may be... You can be seated. But it seems like these last few months, they can't that, hear you. That friendship has gone somewhere. And Faye and May, you know that I'm talking about y'all. I mean, we're both in the hall, and we want to speak to each other for some reason. And if I've ever done anything to y'all, I am so. So, so sorry. I don't know, from the bottom of my heart and my belly. <laughs> I mean, they were my bestest friends, and I just lost both of them from their bestest friends. You hadn't lost me. I know you had. You hadn't lost me, honey. I know. I knew there was something wrong. I forgive you. I really do. Is there anything wrong? Uh-uh. You've just you been think good. You've just not been That's okay. Okay. Yeah, I have. 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 I Okay. That thing just fell down on you, didn't it? Don't hurt them fingers. I got to have a piano player. I can't sing with flip. That took a lot of courage. And I I just have to believe that there's probably some more of that that needs to go on. And it doesn't have to go on up here in front of the church like that. There's probably somebody you might need to call, somebody you might need to talk to, and get some things straightened out. Because that's how revival starts. That's how change takes place. Cut out the root of bitterness. If you don't, it'll kill you. All right?
Anybody else before we dismiss? All hearts and minds are clear. Don't lie to God and the Holy Spirit. He knows. All right, you can be at liberty. We'll meet again at 5 o'clock.